This episode is going to contain some anti-fat language as either quoted or paraphrased from research. Please take care of yourself when listening. Welcome to the episode. So if you are new, if this might be your first time listening, I want to let you know that in this episode, I will be using the word fat both as a reclaimed word and also as the neutral adjective that it is. Fat is not a slur in this space. My name is Nadia Felsch. I'm an anti-diet nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, we explore the practical aspects of leaving the diet mentality behind and finding your own food and body freedom. In this episode, we are going to dig into a super commonly spoken sentence. We're going to specifically look at the facts surrounding this sentence and what's available to you if you are hearing it. The sentence, da, 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 my doctor told me to lose weight, probably needs an exclamation mark. So this sentence could just be in passing, you know, something like, you know, Nadia, try and lose some weight. It'll help your insert condition or concern. I'm going to say PCOS because I have it. And I absolutely have heard a version of that. It could be more direct. And I've also heard this. Have you? You need to lose weight for this condition, for that concern. Again, PCOS, I'm just going to keep with that one. It could be that you had this spoken near you or around you, but you knew it was about you. And your takeaway has been, I need to lose some weight. I need to lose weight. So if any of this resonates, or maybe you've come to think just, you've come to think this yourself over time, because how could you not truly? Maybe you are something, you know, something along the lines, you're thinking, I need to lose weight for my health. So if any of that resonates, this episode is for you. All right, let's kick off by digging into the facts here, starting with what this sentence both assumes and it also reinforces in its, let's face it, very wide usage. So if I am being told that I need to lose weight for my PCOS specifically by a medical professional, a doctor, the assumption that is embedded in that sentence is that the weight loss itself will improve my PCOS. So you're with me, right? This sentence is saying X equals Y. And the sentence itself, I know this sounds like semantics, but we need to start here. The sentence also reinforces that same X equals Y concept, you know, that therefore weight and health are the same thing. That is the only takeaway to to have there. Let's start there. So now let's look at how this doctor, this imaginary doctor has arrived here to say this statement, this sentence this recommendation. So for you and I, it's an everyday narrative that we have heard our whole lives. And yes, likely this doctor has as well. The narratives are not medicine. They're not science. They're not healthcare, or at least they shouldn't be in that way. So how has this doctor arrived here to make this recommendation? Now, of course, I cannot speak to the specific journey of every doctor and nor do I need to. Let's just kind of take a a broad look here. This doctor arrives at medical training as a whole human being, not just a medical student. They are going to arrive with intergenerational stories and possible trauma about bodies generally, their own, about food, about weight. They're going to arrive to that training with their own lived experience of being in their body, whatever that was, whatever that's been. They are going to arrive with their own biases formed throughout their life. Biases that we know from research, biases that my clients in fat bodies know all too well. 
and anti-fat bias is one of those. You just get brushed aside by most other people in your life, you know, whether they be healthcare practitioners or not. Fat equals no opinion. Being fat equals no, yeah, no stance in society, basically. Just as my client from inside the Food Freedom Program has shared with us here. The anti-fatness is about to ramp up. So as I offered at the top of the episode, please take care of yourself, including if that means no longer listening. In a study of 250 doctors in the US across various fields of medicine, 40% of them reported a negative reaction toward a patient who was quote-unquote obese. In another study of 620 doctors, again in the US, more than 50% of them reported viewing quote-unquote obese patients as awkward unattractive, ugly, and non-compliant. Now, I'm going to reserve my commentary on this other than to say what the actual fuck has finding someone attractive got to do with your ability to provide healthcare? Like, why is this even being studied so weird? I find this super ick. And non-compliance is a whole other episode. To my fellow fat-positive, trauma-informed, and neurodiversity-affirming healthcare providers listening, I know that you are eye-rolling with me. A study of 122 US doctors assessed the time that a doctor reported that they would expect to spend with a human seeking care for a migraine headache. So in this study, the doctors were given a chart only, so just data. There was no you know, person sitting in front of them. And the variances provided to them were in gender and weight. So the charts that were given to these 122 doctors either had listed, quote, average weight quote, overweight and quote, obese for this fictitious human with a migraine. The results from this study are that these doctors prescribed more tests for the heavier humans, whilst indicating that they would actually spend less time with them in their care and view them more negatively. So to be clear, doctors start out with biases. Their medical training then absolutely compounds it. You know, consider for a moment, if you can, they are immersed in this really healthist and anti-fat environment. I can certainly tell you from my experience in the three years I spent on campus at university studying nutrition, this is the case. It was the case for me as well. So now you might be asking, surely it's more than bias though. Yeah, they start out with bias, there's bias, okay, blah, blah. It's also the evidence, surely, that they're using to tell them that losing weight is a solution. You know, again, let's say my PCOS, surely this is evidence. Someone with diabetes, there's evidence. What about with a heart condition? What about if someone's knee joints hurt? Surely, Nadia, you're a fool. Weight loss must be the answer. And I got to be honest, I think if you're there, this is a fair thing to say. This is a fair challenge. You should be challenging me. I welcome challenge. I think it's a fair assumption to make. It's one that most of us do. I know I did. Anyone I have ever met in the weight-inclusive healthcare space has as well. This isn't, however, about being foolish. It is about bias. Again, bias, bias, bias. And that bias is inbuilt. So for instance, let's just imagine, I know you've seen these, you're, you're seeing a headline that's talking about this new study that's found weight loss can prevent diabetes. I know you've seen some something like that. Or your doctor specifically has given you some kind of percentage. Like if you lose five to 10% of your body weight, it's always five to 10%. Your PCOS symptoms, Nadia, or your knee pain, Nadia will improve. 
Let's start actually with the study that is often actually cited and used to justify this five to ten percent, you know, loss that that really started as a, a, a diabetic kind of focus. So, so this study, this five to ten percent loss of weight to prevent diabetes for those at high risk, was actually from the Diabetes Prevention Program out of the U.S. in the '90s and the '90s. So, the study participants received counselling around movement and weight loss goals. Though none of these factors that they were, you know, again, so weight loss was a factor, movement was a factor. None of these factors were actually being specifically studied to determine if they were contributing to the prevention of diabetes in the people within the study. So they were actually looking at the the counseling, right? Did this work? Did this prevent people from developing diabetes? They weren't specifically looking to determine what of the things prevented diabetes. My colleague, Erin Phillips, who joined me in episode 45, where we kind of talked about diabetes and disordered eating, she has a great thread on this issue itself on Instagram. I'm going to link to it in the episode notes. And why this matters is that no follow-up was done here. So was it the weight loss, one might ask? Was it a combination of factors We do know that type 2 diabetes has no one cause, just like other diseases. And yet I know we talk about it. Like if you eat sugar and you're fat, that's why. You know, a client of mine discovered in one of our very first sessions together inside the Food Freedom Program, she discovered thin people get type 2 diabetes as well. And she was shocked. So yes, there is an immense influence of our genetics the trauma that we have faced, food insecurity is known to be linked to the development of diabetes, of the disease, as is racism, as is discrimination. And yet what transpired as the recommendation to back and to bolster within public health, within medical communities was weight loss to this percentage because that's what was in the study and and why these individuals apparently were able to, at least for a period that the, that the study was followed up by to prevent diabetes, like they have some kind of control over developing diabetes. It's all ick. Now, if you're wondering what happened to their weight loss, it's the same result as every single weight loss intervention study in existence on earth. They gained it back. They gained the weight back. And if you are not new here, you knew that was coming. But that's what the focus was, even though to their own, their own quotation, they weren't actually looking to see what, why the diabetes delay in diagnosis might have occurred. They didn't know it was weight loss, but because there was weight loss, that's what they focused on. That was now the recommendation. So what do you think? When, when I say that, do you hear poor interpretation of research that then goes into clinical recommendations? Because guess what I do? Do you hear weight bias that completely obstructs integrity? that prevents us from asking better questions because there were so many questions left on the table. In fact, they're they're kind of preventing us from asking any questions. We just accept this. We are looking for this and then we run with it. That is bias. My only motivation in sharing this research, because I know some of it was really rough, is to help you challenge what you are very likely holding onto as fact, as evidence, as hard truth about what weight is and isn't. Can you hear me getting fired up? I'm getting red. I'm getting really fired up here. When instead, what we've all come to believe as true, that weight and health are one and the same, and that losing weight is a solution, is really, in fact, bias and social construct first and foremost. So let's come back to the doctors. Doctors are busy. 
I'm just going to focus on Australia because that's where I am and that's my experience. In Australia, yes, our public healthcare system in many ways is great. And GPs are under serious pressure. For those outside of Australia, this is a general practitioner. In America, I believe you call them primary care physicians. It's your kind of like your go-to doctor. They're not a specialist. They kind of know a bit of everything and they, you know, facilitate lots of those really important conversations. In Australia, they have such limited time to care for humans. And sure, maybe there's some options. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But their lack of time is a systemic issue to address. So what I'm kind of posing and wondering here is weight loss, an easy, a lazy recommendation they can make because they're short on time. Often, I think so. In that study of 620 doctors that I mentioned earlier, the primary reason for quote-unquote obesity in their understanding as doctors was what they reported as physical inactivity. Now, that is flat-out incorrect. It is not backed by evidence. It is pure bias. I think that's appalling. And just to be clear, these doctors are trained to critique medical research and to think critically. It is shocking. It is harmful. It's unacceptable. And I think it's hard for most folks to embrace change and to consider that they might be wrong, especially in a field as paternalistic as medicine, where doctors are considered academically gifted and superior as a societal norm, right? I imagine it's even harder to check yourself when you've been put on a pedestal like that in society. You know, doctors are all knowing is the message that we get. I'm also not suggesting that they know nothing. This isn't binary. This isn't all or nothing. The critical analysis of why doctors give this so-called recommendation, this solution, and the far-reaching impacts of that is vital. Weight and health are not the same thing. Both are far more complex than we tend to consider or even speak about. Yes, even doctors. The truth is we don't even know what's truly possible if anti-fatness didn't exist, if it wasn't embedded in the questions that researchers are asking, where, for instance, if instead we acknowledged how complex weight and health are and we adjusted in our research for a multitude of variables, including socioeconomic factors, just for starters. A large 2012 study reviewed the impact that health-promoting behaviours can have on mortality across the BMI spectrum. Now, 11,000 humans were in this study. That's a lot. And this study found that regardless of the size of someone's body, the more health-promoting behaviors that they adopted, so this was stopping smoking, reducing alcohol intake, moving their body more, and there was a mention of eating more vegetables, that no matter the size of their body or where they started, they had a a decreased risk of mortality just by adopting these behaviors. And what's really critical here is this study did adjust for some socioeconomic factors, which, as I said, are often left out of the research, mostly left out of the research, left out of public health policy. Therefore, they're left out of the medical office. They're left out of the conversation and our understanding. I think one of the most powerful ways to approach this, again, understanding how a doctor would make this recommendation in the first place, is to kind of consider how weight and weight stigma are being discussed. Now, this has changed. Even in the last couple of years, I'm starting to see even more shifts, but I don't think the shifts are where they need to be. So yes, we are seeing an increasing number of doctors acknowledge the harm of weight stigma. I follow doctors who talk about this. They're increasingly talking about, yes, weight is complex in humans, and that weight isn't under individual control. That's true. And yet 
they are continuing to treat fat folks different to thin folks. In clinical guidelines, you run into the same bias over and over. So, you know, on one page, it says weight gain will reoccur after two years, after five years, because that's what we know happens. And then the next page, in any clinical guideline I've ever read, weight loss is recommended for blah, 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 PCOS. And then the next page or the back of the book somewhere, because they need to put it in, you know, this little paragraph, don't stigmatize people. And then the next one, but obesity kills. Truly, it's a hot mess. And I really invite you to consider it this way. The the so-called experts are not. They turn their back on actual evidence right in their face, where again, we do not have any evidence that weight can be individually controlled in the long term for mass population. We have zero evidence to say that, but we're still saying that it's healthcare to try. Here, just try this. So I invite you to throw everything out that you know, I know that's challenging, and come back to you. It can be really empowering to see it for the shit show that it is, quite frankly. And, you know, whatever the size of your body, and maybe especially if you live in a fat body and you feel like you could have been in any one of those studies that there's terrible bias from doctors, come back to you and your lived experience. So maybe you are saying, hey, I feel better in a smaller body. And you know what? I believe you. And I invite you to get specific. What felt better? And what was happening at the time? Were you eating regularly? Were you prioritizing eating? Were you eating a variety of foods? And did all of that help you feel more energized? Because, you know, food does that. Did that help you feel more empowered in your body, in your choices? Were you moving more? And did that create momentum, endorphins, mobility? Did you feel empowered in your body? Maybe you walked a little taller, you know, when you do that. Maybe you felt strong and capable Maybe you had less pain. Were you going to therapy? Big fan. Were you having regular massages? Even bigger fan. Were you sleeping soundly and waking refreshed? Were you maybe being validated by people around you based on your appearance, your body size, your weight? If you do feel limited in your body right now, were you less so in a smaller body? So did you feel like you had maybe more clothing options? Were people kinder to you? Did you experience less hypervigilance simply living and existing? Did the doctor actually freaking listen to you and ask questions before assuming anything based on your body size? And was all of this what felt better? Less crap, more good stuff, more acceptance, more confidence. The weight of your body isn't the intrinsic factor for these experiences, even if you were treated differently or you are treated differently in the world because of your body. Behaviors are why you feel better. External reasons, bias is why. Internal bias is why as well. You have full body autonomy and if you are fed up with the weight and the diet cycle, there is an alternative. And what if I said you could feel how you want and that isn't contingent on your weight? Would you want that? If you want to share your experiences, if you want to ask any questions about anything that's come up for you in this episode, I invite you to share them in our community, the Food and Body Freedom community. Let's connect on this. Let's be in community. If you're not already in the group, join us for free on Facebook. If you found this episode helpful, if you loved me getting fired up, tell me, DM me. I'm a person. I want to know. Let me know you've listened. Tell me something that stood out to you. Tell me a light bulb moment. Ask me a question. I would love to hear from you. And if you are ready for support in overcoming the stuckness that you might feel right now about your weight, 
the worry that you have about how that might impact your health, your well-being, your body image, you're going to want to get inside my food freedom program because that's what we do step by step, get you unstuck. Applications are now open for the May 2023 cohort of the Food Freedom Program. You will find the link in your podcast player or on my website, which is nadiafelsch.com forward slash podcast. You'll also find the links and the notes there from this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to being with you again soon. 